Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Clear to Close. I am your host, Alan Paris, joined, as always, the Tom to my Jerry, Brian Traeger. Brian, how you doing today? Great, great. Love being Tom today. Feels good. You know, I like how you suggested Tom and Jerry last episode. It saved probably 15 minutes of my week trying to figure out what dynamic duo we're going to do. So I appreciate you doing the hard work for me and just making it easy today. That's unfortunate. I, I was really hoping that you would spend more time maybe on a Saturday for hours thinking about this type of thing. 15 minutes, a, man. You got to give me ha- more than that. I have a nice, every weekend, I have a, a large whiteboard that I use some post-it notes and connect some strings to of trying to figure out what's the right dynamic duo to use on our episode. So when you have friends and family come over, they think that you're this hotshot fintech guy with sticky notes on a whiteboard, but really you're just not. Yeah, more. I don't know about hotshot fintech guy, but more of like, I'm kind of going with like the Zodiac killer <laughs> uh, scene of like the detective trying to find the the unsolvable mystery of what is the best dynamic duo. But we can go with a hotshot fintech. Okay, okay, you psycho. It's all right. <laughs> so Brian, how you been lately? Oh man, I've been good. It's been... It's been a lot of fun in our household. We moved into a, a new place. And one of, the, one of the funny parts is I thought I was more handy than I actually am. And we're like, oh, th- we need it. This needs to be an accent wall over here. And I've, I've painted an accent wall before, but we wanted a little texture to it. So after about an hour of me saying I could do it, watching some YouTube videos, my wife's just like, no, we're hiring for this thing. And it kind of put a nail in my heart slightly, but uh, it is the right decision. He's He's been killing it. It looks really great. But it got me to think, it's like, holy cow, I, maybe I'm not as handy as I thought. I could do all the pictures in the world, put up, you know, floating shelves and put together all the furniture and stuff, but I can't do the painting, the woodworking. I don't know. Are you are you into that? Can you do all those things? Well, before before help? we before we give my current experience in handyman, I think what I want to learn is, did you realize this yourself or was it your lovely wife, Anna, who told you that you are not as handy as you thought you were? No, she's so kind. It was like almost suggested to me. <laughs> but no, she, I came to the realization. She led you down that path. Yeah, luckily, like we don't have too much going on. I've, I've helped plumbers before. I've done yeah. a little bit of electrical work. So like, I could do some stuff, but I'm a really good right hand for the expert. Like, yeah. I'll go, I, I can handle being the right hand and following the instructions and doing things safely and all that good stuff. But being the director to all the handy stuff, maybe not as much as I thought I might be able to, but I've heard that YouTube is a magical source to YouTube, become an expert. YouTube is a magical source to become an expert. I by no means am an expert. I'm probably in a similar boat to you, like basic wall painting, drywall hangers, you know, drywall hooks, installing fixtures, all that stuff. I've got the furniture creation is is another level that I think is missing for a couple of reasons. One, I've never had experience in it. I have a real I have a really good friend who's phenomenal at it and puts out amazing tables and can build anything. But I think a big part of it is I think my wife would literally kill me if I brought any more gear or equipment into the household. And like to do it well, you're not like you've got six different table saws. You got every like it's a lot of space and it's a lot of equipment. And whether I could be good at it or not is never going to be known because I don't think Alex would let me bring anything else into our lives that is for Alan's enjoyment or, or pleasure. That's well, I got to touch on a couple of things there. 
One, are you okay? Because you talked about some deathly topics there the last two two pieces of information there. (laughs) You can do whatever you want. She'll be okay. I'm just kidding. But um, on the second piece, yeah, it does take a lot of space. You have to have your own garage for it or you can rent the garage, but you got to go all in essentially if you're going to do that. I, I also have a friend who got into woodworking like later on in his life this is a, a hobby he wanted to, something to do. So he started with one saw, graduated. Now his whole garage has been converted into his his workshop. And it's been incredible. He he bought one of those um, kind of traveling vans. It was in good shape, like the yeah. engine and everything like that. But he redid the entire interior. And it is just incredible, the woodwork that he put into that. It's like a little house in there. That's cool. I mean, he's just doing it for fun. He was going to keep it. But then he he's like, how much can I get for this thing? Ended up settling it for $90,000. The market for adventure travel vans is out of this world right now. Hotter than I could even imagine. Yeah. What, what's hotter right now? The housing market or traveling vans? It's tough, man. Probably traveling vans. <laughs> well, it's a little bit cheaper. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, well, uh, if you're new to Clear to Close, we're excited to have you check us out. You know, for all returning listeners, we're glad you're back. We could sense that you're back. We love that reoccurring and returning visitor. So appreciate you coming back. Uh, We hope you enjoy this one. Uh, And when finished listening, don't forget to subscribe and shoot us over a review. We strive for five-star reviews. So if you felt we've met that criteria, we'd love for you to make our day. Uh, on today's episode, we have an awesome guest. Uh, we're joined by Sarah Gonzalez. Sarah is the COO of FGMC, a 20 plus year veteran of the industry. And Sarah, you know, what she's really public about many times and why we wanted to get her on the show is the importance of good leadership in reaching goals and keeping your employees happy and getting the most out of your team and inspiring your team. And so that was the main reason why we invited her to join Clear to Close. We're super thankful for her to take 60 minutes out of her day to join us. We really wanted to get inside of how does a top lender think about developing their talent and creating an environment that drives innovation and drives people to be passionate about staying inside that company and experiencing new roles and new opportunities. So uh, we're super excited to have Sarah on and hope you guys really enjoy the show. Before we jump into the show, uh, we need to give a shout out to our sponsor and beloved employer that makes this all possible, Maxwell. Maxwell is a leading digital mortgage and technology-enabled solutions platform for small to mid-sized lenders across the country, powering over 250 community lenders to provide internal efficiencies, attract and keep the best LO talent, and ultimately provide a better technology-forward borrower experience. Today on Maxwell, lenders are shaving over 10 days off of the time to close and helping LOs close 20 plus percent more loans every single month. So if you're looking for a partner to empower your business through a better digital experience, outsource processing, underwriting, or closing, or looking for a new QC and diligence provider, visit us at www.highmaxwell.com or email us at meetmax at highmaxwell.com. Well, Brian, you ready to jump in the episode? Yeah. Without further ado, Miss Sarah Gonzalez. Well, Sarah, we're super excited to have you on uh, Clear to Close today. We want to thank you for uh, taking time out of uh, out of your Tuesday today to join us. You know, I think you've got a, a huge brand inside of Maxwell. I think you've got uh, some raving fans, Sadie, Amy Joe, Brian, all speak the world of you. So we're excited to uh, to spend some time with you today. I appreciate that, Alan. Thanks so much for having me. And I can't say that I don't feel the same way about them. So I'm glad that they're there and I'm glad that I can uh, provide some insight today. 
Awesome. You know, I think where we want to get started is, you know, you have built this a big name in the industry. You know, you've been in the industry for 25 plus years, Housing Wire Vanguard winner, you know, in the forefront of what I always see you talking about is around almost this next level of leadership and the attention of detail you provide as a leader. And it seems like something that you, it comes natural in a way and it's something you're extremely passionate. I think it's easy to talk about and it's important results and performance, but there's there's so much beforehand to get to those results where strong leadership has a huge impact in in the performance of your company. Yeah, I mean, you know, certainly I come from some very humble beginnings, and and look, you know, my role today is not that far off from where I was doing roles very similar to the folks that I uh, manage in my organization today. I still feel very connected to that, but also have a strategic mind in order to combine not only the strategy of what we need to do to get our company to the next level, right? But then what are the parts that are played by each of the individuals within our organization? I also believe in a lot of cross-functional conversations. So a lot of, you know, obviously direction with my direct reports, but I go down to that second or third level a lot of times, um, not from a production standpoint, but a more or less like, how are you doing? Tell me a little bit about what's going on with your family. I mean, one of the very first things I did coming to FGMC, which at the time was roughly 200 employees, I literally knew like everyone's name, at least one important fact about them, right? And that was really important to me at that time because I was coming into an organization that, you know, needed a lot of help, but also too, you know, this was a new big role for me. This is my first big step and stab at a C-suite role, right? So I don't want to screw it up. I need a really great people in our organization to pull together and work with me. And that's just been my mantra. I mean, I feel, you know, and there's a lot of leaders that are out there that feel this way that the keys to success on uh, leadership are know where your downfalls are and hire for those downfalls, find people that are smarter than you that can work together as a team and really drive results, right? So not only have the behavioral traits that you need from a leadership perspective, but actually bring results to the table. And I I don't know everything. I clearly don't want to know everything. <laughs> so, you know, I try to hire really good people. And then I think that cascades down through the rest of my organization because I've hired leaders with that same mindset, Right that they want to see potential growth within our firm. And um, part of that is teaching, uh, which is also very, very big passion of mine. But, you know, being able to, to teach that trade to someone else and being able to let go, right? So that you can move on to the next part of your career. So it's kind of like this, you know, uh, have you heard like pay it forward? It's kind of like that pay yeah. it forward oh, thing. Yeah. You know, you're going to pay for somebody's Starbucks behind you? Well, they're going to pay for the person behind them. And I think, you know, organizationally, it's really important as leaders to make sure that we're doing that, right? And not everybody's made to be a leader, and that's okay. But I think, you know, development, whether you're a leader or not, is important in any organization. I think part of that development, there's always a confusing part that I've found is when somebody is on their career development, and they they want to be more strategic. They They love the idea of strategy, but they don't quite know what that means. How do you foster or cultivate a culture, the people that work at your company to be creative and to kind of find what strategy is for them. Because strategy lives in all the nooks and crannies of the business. And you hit it perfectly on the head. Not one person can strategize the whole business. And there's so many little things that you can 
think you can do, but that that's always been confusing. It was confusing for me growing up um, and some others that I know really closely who they just don't quite get what strategy is. How do I strategize? Could you touch on that a little bit? <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, obviously you have, you know, strict production alignments you need to make, right? Your business is going to get a certain mile of market share and you have to drive towards that from a productivity standpoint, whether we're talking about locks or fundings or whatever. But I think if you're talking about just pure like development on how does a leader learn how to strategize, I really think there's two main components to that. The first one being able to let folks know that it's okay to take risks. Right. So and a lot of times when we're sitting in these level roles where we're underwriting or we're, you know, an account executive or we're a closer. Right. We don't take a lot of risks because we're measured on uh, widgets as well as the quality of the work that we're doing. Right. Where strategy is almost exactly the opposite. Right. Where, yes, we know what we have to do with the big black and white number is. But how are we going to get there? How are we going to meet those numbers and how are we going to do it better than we did it the year before or two years before? Right. And a lot of that comes with the ability to look at everything full picture, no, no matter the level of risk, and then determine what is better for your company and what is your risk appetite. And I think a lot of time folks get stuck in these, uh, especially like folks that are kind of coming up to the ranks or whatever, you know, I hear a lot of, well, that's not the way we've ever done it before. Or, you know, I tried that at a different company and it didn't work. Okay. Well, what didn't work about it? Is it something that we can expand on in our organization? Or if you had a magic wand, what would it look like today? You know, forget, forget that we've tried and it didn't work maybe before. How do we make it work? What was missing from that? And really getting them to think more creatively around what needs to happen. We have a huge project going on in our organization today, which is really a re-implementation of our, our loan operating system. And I said re-implementation, right? So yeah. we're going from something that we had before to something that is the same product, right? And just starting afresh. Okay. So try to get a bunch of folks, right? SME level all the way up to leadership, right? To get them to build something brand new. So imagine giving a kid a box of Legos and they look at all the pictures and they build what's on the pictures. Now you tell them to take it all apart and you say, okay, I'm taking the instructions away. You build something new. Okay. You don't want them to rebuild what they already built. You want them to build something new. It may still be a dinosaur, but maybe it's a different kind of dinosaur, you know, or whatever. So I look at things that way from an innovation standpoint, as well as like strategic thinking and whatnot. What strategically do we need to do from a technology standpoint to better our experience with the consumer or any customer we serve on the TPO side of our business? And it's really trying to get them to understand that. There's not only just a creative side, but, you know, maybe maybe you were doing something before that now can be automated. What's the risk to automating that? You know, what's the risk to not automating that? So really getting them to understand risk around strategy. Um, the second piece of this, I feel, and I'm probably going to lose my train of thought here, but the second piece of this, I feel, is really around uh, being able to let go. And I say that meaning like, again, I just said, I'm not that far removed from things that I did in the past where I was running a line or I was running a channel or, you know, whatnot. And, and I would even say in the last, you know, 10 to 15 years, you know, I was looking at loans from an underwriting perspective and maybe a leadership position, but I was helping make those decisions. 
right? It's being able to teach those below you the trade so that you can take a step back and be more strategic. You know, I have this kind of funky saying of um, like, I don't expect anybody to do something I don't know how to do myself. That doesn't mean I'm doing it every day. It just means that I understand what's happening within the line or uh, on the floor or within a certain department of our organization. I know enough, you know, about certain things. I know a lot about other things. And I know, you know, just enough to make me dangerous on some things. But the only way you're going to be strategic is if you get out of doing everybody else's work. You got to learn how to manage, right? And if you don't have those primary management skills, then it's going to be really, really hard to strategically make decisions around what you're going to do going forward to you know, enhance the experience, whether it be from a consumer standpoint or your internal employee standpoint. Yeah. I mean, when you have the time, when you're a bit removed and you are in a strategic role, it's really the risk that you're talking about too. I think a couple others that people need to think about as they want to step into those positions are, you know, having freedom of thought and freedom to speak up. And a lot of people think that that's risky to do both of those things. And if you create an environment where that's not risky and it's actually encouraged, that's where you get people to really develop, I think, in their in their own heads and their own voices. Because what is the risk of speaking up with what crazy idea you have? One of the things I like to do is I say nine things, they're going to be bad. Maybe they're funny. They're like, not bad. They're, not, like they're, bad usually, ideas. Not, they're usually not funny. Yeah, they're usually not funny. I just crack myself up. But the 10th one, hey, maybe that one, you know, sparks something. And so being vulnerable and and at least having fun with it to to hopefully allow for other folks to feel comfortable and sharing their ideas because, hey, it's going to work. And then you showcase how that worked with somebody's idea that makes somebody else who thinks that they could speak up. And then boom, now you've got this thought engine going. And before you know it, when you when you yourself are coming up with these ideas, you probably are getting promoted because the ideas are maybe working and then you're collaborating, you're seeing cross-functionally, like you mentioned. I think what you mentioned is, is a really good point in, in thinking of it in terms of risk and what a lot of people don't do, maybe it's earlier in their careers or whether they don't have quite the experience of all of the positions that they might think they need to have an idea. They just need to speak up. And I think that's really important for a lot of the people is to have that courage to speak up. Yeah, I actually think that one of the key words you mentioned, Brian, was uh, vulnerability. Okay. And everybody's scared of that word in leadership. And I don't really understand why, because the human is vulnerable, right? Yeah. And there's these very stoic figures who I have very, very much respect for in our in our industry. I've learned a lot from them. It almost, and this is just my own personal opinion and how I manage and lead and strategize for that matter, is that I would rather be vulnerable and say something out loud than not say anything at all. Because I guarantee you, if I'm thinking it, there's at least one other person in the room thinking it and just not willing to say it. And that is that vulnerability component that you spoke of and that is very important, I think, for folks to embrace at some level. I'm not saying that you you know, need to break down in tears every time something doesn't go your way. But I do think you know, there are ways that we can talk about things that maybe have not normally been talked about in, in organizations. And quite frankly, it makes us people. It makes us humans. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to work for a bunch of robots. I want to work for people. I want to work for people that have feelings, they're empathetic, that understand not only 
you know, where we're going from an organization standpoint, but, you know, how does it impact my virtual reality, right? If we operated in a way that thought that virtual reality today was the same as it was in in-person, that's silly to think that, right? You got to be able to talk out loud and talk about what, what people are going through, how do we fix it, you know, all of those different types of things. So again, you know, I'm getting a little bit on a tangent, but I think vulnerability is one of those components that you have to have as a manager or as a leader. And, and, you know, again, whether it's 5% of your, you know, 5% of your overall personality or 50%, you know, you know, I, I don't know the judge of that, but I do know that one of the things that I really kind of live by is people say, I can't believe you said that. I'm like, I guarantee you there were two other people in that room thinking the same thing. Yeah, what's the harm? Let's go. And now, you know, I've kind of made a name for myself that, you know, people will say, oh, Sarah will say it. (laughs) She'll ask the tough questions. One example of vulnerability, and I love this tangent you're going on, so we don't have, you don't have to apologize at all, is one thing that I have really respected in leadership teams that I've worked on and, and exists at Maxwell today is this idea that I don't know is okay answer at a, at a meeting. And so there are areas of your role or your, or your job that you truly do need to know. Like as the leader in marketing in Maxwell, I need to know how our pipeline and how our sales are trending. Like I can't say I don't know the core parts of my job, but as we have brainstorms and as we have explore areas of opportunity or figure out how you're going to go get to that next level of performance... You don't have to put on a front in a meeting and pretend like everything that you've got it all figured out because I think that then harbors the innovation, the brainstorming, the the ideas and the sharing of ideas to and the vulnerability of just breaking down and knowing that you might need help in something to solve a really complex problem. Yeah, I, I agree, Alan. And and actually as a follow-up to that, I would say it's I don't know, but I'll find out and I'll get back to you in X amount of yeah. time. Right. So whether you go figure it out by yourself or you get three people to help you figure out what the answer is, you know, the I don't know is totally acceptable to me. But I do think there is a sense of development, per se, where people can say, I don't know, but then they need to follow up with. I'll find that right. I'll yeah, get absolutely. And, and give a time. Absolutely. How much of this is, you know, there's so much of and I believe heavily in this air cover idea where the employees and the whole team need to have trust that they can take risks and that they can try different things because their boss is there or their their leader's there to, to cover them and give them that space to try different things and pursue innovation. How much of it though is getting the right members on the team. You know, I think like one thing that we always try to find in in team members is that like intangible ownership mentality of willing to think through a better way of doing something and uh, acting like it's their business. Like how much of it is getting the right team in place and how much of it is that that structure as well? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, you're talking about two different culture pillars that we have here at FGMC. One is act like an owner and the other one is feeling empowered, right? That empowerment culture. So when I look at folks coming in, we're looking for people to at some sort of level, act like an owner, right? Feel empowered to make a decision as though it's your own checkbook. Um, you know, would you make that quality call? Would you make, you know, would you have that conversation with a borrower? You know, if that borrower was your mother, would you, would you, would you say that? Would you, would you provide that, you know, result, whatever the case may be, right? So that whole act like an owner, 
And again, which could be at different levels, right, of entrepreneurship, but it's a very entrepreneurial feel, right, in our organization that we want people to come in and, and really feel good about coming into. Now, not everyone joins with that mentality, right? So that's something that to some degree you can teach through osmosis, right? So if your organization is doing that all together, right? It's like, oh my God, what am I missing out on? I need to get on board with this, right? How do I, how do I empower myself to feel like that, right? And I think naturally by acting like that owner, right? You automatically feel empowered to make decisions. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't stop and ask questions when you don't understand something, but a lot of times, um, and again, this kind of goes back to that risk-based conversation we were having, right? To feel okay to make a decision and know where your limits are. And then when your limits have been reached or crossed, know who you're supposed to reach out to next, yeah. right? So we want people to not feel like they're alone, but that they're empowered to make decisions, uh, whether we're talking about on the loan level, whether we're talking about their career, right? Because a lot of people, Brian, to your point earlier, will want this huge career and they just, just don't know how to do it. They don't know how to get there, right? So again, having that vulnerability, being able to feel empowered and go ask questions. And when you don't need the help, act like an owner. You know, Act as though it's your organization, it's your department, it's your business. And um, you know, try to make decisions that are rational as though if it was your own. So Yeah, I would think it also a big part of it is the understanding of what the company is trying to achieve and like the, mm-hmm. their their mission and their why of they are as a business instilling that next level of thought like it's you know if it's if it's purely about a certain target or a KPI that doesn't have a a bigger meaning behind it i can imagine that being really difficult to for yep. someone to to take that ownership. Yeah, so I think, you know, two two answers here um Alan. One in that communication is key, right? Yeah. So information that is transferable meaning that it's good to bleed down through your organization, right? Because there's just some information you can't. Well, for the most part, there's a lot of information that you can bleed through your organization, one from an enterprise level as well as at an individual level, right? So what you're trying to do as a team How do you contribute as an individual to that team? And those things have to be discussed on not only just a monthly basis, but a daily basis. There's a level of accountability every day. I'm doing X, Y, Z. Am I doing X, Y, Z? Right? So some people may think that that's micromanagement, but if you're managing that already on your own, then really it's just a checkpoint, right? Did I do ABC today? If I did, check, right? So, you know, not only is communication really key to, um, you know, driving down those communication, but from a new hire perspective, like as we start to see like new individuals enter our industry and really, you know, whether they have the experience or not, a lot of them are green uh, coming in. We've had a lot of life-changing events happen last year to this year where, you know, people have decided to take a step back. And so we have this new generation of people coming in. And what I find, um, and which is happening, you know, on a monthly basis, if not more, is that I have to come to the table with a why. Like, I have to explain, okay, we're going to do this, this, and this, and here's why we're going to do this, this, and this. The buy-in is much larger whenever you um, give that why. Now, again, I'm a mother of three, so I hate it when my five-year-old says, but why? 
because I said so, you know, that doesn't work in the workforce. So, you know, I, you know, you have to sit down and say, okay, look, we need to hit this number this month. Here's why we're, why we need to do it. Right. Obviously it's part of, part of a plan. Right. But here's how we're going to get there. Right. And being able to explain that, or if things go, you know, a different direction, you know, we'll call it sideways. If they go sideways, you have to be able to explain what the ramifications of going sideways is going to cause not only to that particular department or, or portion of your business, but what are the upflow and downflow impacts of, you know, that one particular thing going a direction that shouldn't be going. Right. And so, you know, I've had feedback a little bit on this, right. Where there, you know, I get, well, you're talking about warehouse lines. They're not quite sure what a warehouse line says. I was like, great. So let's talk about what a warehouse line is. Like on the next episode of, you know, Sarah's all hands call, we're going to talk about what the definitions of this stuff is. So my all hands calls are really driven around previous month's results. I don't cover off on a high level because our CEO handles an all hands call that really kind of gets down into the nitty gritty of that. So I try not to be super repetitive. What I try to do is present the results and find ways to better the outcome on a go forward basis. So you know, hey, we did a really good job here, but we maybe had a miss here. Here's how we need to work on a go forward basis. And then that allows me to open the door around lessons learned, being able to tell the why on why we need to make some changes, or just an educational perspective, like, does anyone know what, you know, warehouse line means? Okay, great. Let's talk about that. You know, here's what this means. Here's what that means. And again, that sounds really elementary to some degree, but we cannot go into a talent pool and think that a bunch of you know folks that index documents or process loans know what all the impacts are, right? Yeah. I would ask either of you in your careers, if you looked back 15 years from now, did you even have 1% of inkling of what actually happens through the mortgage process in a role that you maybe had 10 or 15 years ago? Yeah. No, you learn through trial and error. Now, again, this is me personally. I was born to be a teacher. I mean, that that is what I started to go to school for. I was going to be a, a middle school teacher. So I think there's a part of that that's just around personality, around my desire to teach and 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 learn as well, right? And getting to know like the new class of people that are coming in and like how do we grow them and all of that. But all that aside, people want to know the why now. They want to know why they're doing what they're doing. And it's it's a huge part of uh, what I do on a daily basis. And I have to teach my own direct leadership and how to, how to give those whys as well. The context matters so much in these things. I think, you know, going through monthly retrospectives or looking at the data and such, even going line by line, if you do it that way, is really important for some people because that helps them connect the dots and learn the other things. And then they can follow up with experts in those certain areas that might not otherwise know about, or they'll speak up and say, hey, I don't know what a warehouse line is. Let's talk about it. And so I'm a big proponent of sharing those types of numbers and always almost redundantly talking about how it flows into the next thing. Because as, I mean, mortgage is such a flow business that so much of what happens at any part of the process is going to affect something probably three or four steps down the line. And if you can tighten up one of those areas, you will see improvement on the other on the other aspects. But if you don't study the numbers or understand how that flows, 
it's very unscientific with how it works because it's really hard to see any of those improvements through looking at an income statement. Like you need to know the impacts of what you're doing, kind of like the scientific experiment. Like I'm going to try and change this number at the back end by actually modifying a process in the front end. And let's see how that works. And it's people don't understand that that could be a lever in the toolbox that you need to pull. But explaining the successes and the failures of when you try those things is super important, I think, to allowing people to learn that next level. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I would also add that it builds social equity, right? Mm -hmm. With the rest of your counterparts throughout the business, right? Everyone's pitching in together to try to make a better overall experience, you know, for the customer. And that customer could be your actual borrower, right? In a you know, retail platform, or I can be the customer, right? Trying to get a contract reviewed and, you know, I need that done at by X amount of days, right? So I think by having those things in place, you're building social equity with your teammate or your peer. And you're also, you know, obviously impacting the consumer experience along with it. Yeah. And no employee wants to feel like a cog in a machine. Like, it, I mean, it's just like the understanding the importance of your role and the impact it has in this bigger goal of the company and and performance of the company is so much more motivating than... I mean, don't get me wrong, salary is always important. But when you feel like you're an extremely valued team member and your role is critical to the company's success, like that's that next level of motivation. And then that starts to get into how you keep your employees longer and attract different talent that you wouldn't have been able to attract before because you have such a more supportive and inclusive environment. Well, I mean, think about it. They're, your employee base is the not only most expensive, but the most valuable thing yeah. in an organization, right? Out of everything. And, you know, why why have people why have people in that category if they don't feel valued, right? So you got to make them feel valued for sure. Yeah. Alan and I did a uh, an internal podcast for our Maxwell team where we had a an assistant hockey or assistant coach for the Washington Capitals joined us. And it was really interesting to hear him talk about how he had to change how he coaches players over the decades that he's done it. And he said, you know, right now it's a lot of explaining the why. Like it used to be, I'm just going to tell you what to do and you're going to do it because I told you what to do. And players responded that way or for whatever reason that they did. But now it's like, no, coach, I'm not going to do that because you told me what to do. I need to have buy-in. Tell me why, because otherwise I'll just, you know, <laughs> do it. So it's, it's really interesting. Do you think that is part of the, the newer generation or do you think that we're all coming to our senses or what, what do you think it is about the why and, and its importance? I don't think it's entirely generational. I do think that's probably part of it. You know, I think other parts is that I think if you're open for learning, right? And and I'll just use myself in this scenario, right? Um, there are times that I have to ask why, right? Not because I distrust the person that is giving me the information or that, you know, I just have to know, but I want to learn. I want to learn, like, don't just tell me, go put the green post-it note on the door. I want to know why you're doing that, right? Because it's a learning experience. So, Again, you know, as much as it's easy to say it's generational, there's probably a, a sum of that. I also think it's just everyone's need to be educated as well. People want to physically grow, both mentally and physically. They want to grow within their career. People are ambitious as ever, 
right now. Okay. And the only way that you can achieve ambition, meaning like continue to climb that ladder, whether your ladder is two steps or 20 steps, you know, you have to feel this need to know more information, right? So a why question could seem very remedial in the sense that, oh, well, they don't trust what I'm saying and I have to outline it and blah, 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 right? Where some people, like for the person that gave the feedback, they may aspire to be in finance someday. And they want, they've heard that word over and over again, but they haven't really had the vulnerability to ask the question in a public setting. They finally get it and they ask the question, the answer is made, and now they've learned something, right? It's not because they're physically being asked to do something with a warehouse sign. It's just that we're talking about it and they want to know what it means, right? So I do feel like even at my age that we still thrive to learn more every day, right? Learn about different things, things within our industry and outside of our industry. I just think it's part of who we are. I can't tell you whether that's, you know, just leaders or, or, you know, non-leaders. I don't know. I just think that's part of being a human. Like we want to grow. We're always evolving. We're always innovative. We want to learn more. We want to build more. It's just our nature, right? And so when we think about like building a, a robot, right, to do work for us, the question or the why on that may be like, why are we doing that? But nobody asked like the question of like, how is that done? And, and you know, what portions are we going to do it for? Same thing applies to us, right, as people that we want to innovate. We want to be stronger. We want to be better. We want to be ambitious. We want to reach our goals. And sometimes that requires just pure knowledge. I mean, yeah. why do people read? <laughs> why do people read? Because they want to learn more. They want to experience something they haven't experienced before. Or maybe they have gone through that experience and they want to learn more, right? Yeah. We're always knowledge seeking, I feel like. So. Yeah, I think there's something natural about humans of, I mean, it goes it's goes back to like why so many people, they have this idea of what success is. They you know, have Once they have a certain house and a certain car and a certain amount in their retirement account that they'll like be happy. And then there still is this new challenge and there's a new thing that they want to go do. And it's so rare to reach your, as a, I think as the human species, just yeah. to, to reach perfection that there's always this desire to grow. And for whatever reason it's now, and I'm glad it has, but it seems like in the last, 15 years, 20 years, it's become more of now I can do that in my career and I don't have to stay at one company. I can learn more things and be flexible with how long I stay at a company and be flexible what my job title is or what areas I want to get involved in. And and I think, you know, that's that's becoming an ever more critical thing in retaining talent. Like it's when you look at why people leave, it's because, or at least in jobs that I've worked at, it's because they feel like they weren't challenged and there wasn't a new thing to learn. There wasn't thing to, to develop their kind of personal portfolio and skill set. And that's, as an employer, if you want to have high-performing talent, you've got to be thinking about how to always be challenging your employees and how to help them get opportunities to grow. Yeah, absolutely. I could not agree with you um, more, Alan. Awesome. Brian, I think that might be a good place to start to wrap up. Do you, did, was there any big question you wanted to... Yeah, Sarah, you mentioned something earlier that I wanted to touch on. You said, hey, you know, you appreciate all the Stoics out there in the mortgage industry, but you're a little bit different. And I, I've, I've found myself to be the same way too. And I like this tangent of humanity that we just went on and philosophical. So I had to bring it back to Stoicism a little bit. I, I love it because when a situation of stress comes about in the workplace, I find that when people are in early management or they're in charge of 
being a decision maker of how to get through that issue or problem or opportunity, however you want to classify it. And a stoic nature is really critical in that piece. It really allows you to take some of your own emotions out of it or, or their emotions out of it and see it in a different light. But then after that is when you need to jump back, I think, into action mode, into creativity, into seeing things, and then go and executing. And so I try to teach people of, hey, like, first of all, it's going to be okay. This is we're at our jobs right now. We're funding. We're all going to be here tomorrow. (laughs) Right? Yeah, it's just fine. We have built transferable skills that will hopefully serve us in another industry if it completely goes down. And this is just a little problem. Like it's it's okay. And so I just wanted to touch on that because I think it is a very important skill to have, and for specifically younger managers, younger leaders, to be able to sit back and kind of remove the in the weeds or the motions that you have in that given moment to be able to see a little bit wider but then you must kind of flip that switch back on of of action of solutioning of brainstorming all of that stuff yep. because it does take a different mindset yeah i i agree so there was a point in my career um and this is back when i was in at countrywide probably the late early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s. And I had received one of my very first leadership roles within the company and, and pretty much ever, like in life. I don't think the Dairy Queen running the block. <laughs> oh know. my gosh, I'm hungry <laughs> right now. You can't say that. I want a butterscotch but, dipped. Yeah, but, um, but I do think, you know, there was a point in my career because I was very much a check the box person, right? I did this. I did this. I had my list of activities I had to do that day. I had my things that I had to do. And that was okay in that role. But as I transitioned into a leadership role, right, I started out that way, right? Um, Which is what got me the job in the first place, right? That we can always count on Sarah. She's always going to give us results, right? All of that, right? But I think what I was lacking was passion about certain things. And so I feel like my career and my, my own like being has definitely transitioned throughout my career to definitely be a lot more of a passionate leader, meaning to your point, being able to know when you need to be stern and, you know, there's no, I can't say a bad word on here, BS going on, right? You can, Um, you you can definitely say a bad word on here. (laughs) You want to make sure there's no bullshit going on, right? And then we can take, we can, we can figure out whether we bleep it out or whether we don't bleep it out. We've actually found it's kind of funnier to bleep it out periodically. So. <laughs> but, you know, at the same time, I think people want to work for passionate leaders. They want to work for people that are passionate in a ways that are both stoic and vulnerable, right? Yep. That, that have that combination, right? Because if you're, if you're one extreme or the other, sometimes it's hard to capture a full audience, right? You're only, you're only really projecting to to a certain number of people. And look, at the end of the day, you know, I watch a lot of uh, history on television. So I watch a lot of, you know, epic battles and things like that, right? Oh, uh, Who goes into the battle, right? Man, woman, whatever, they go into the battle, they have this stoicness about them, but they also have this passion, right? That they're going to go to the war with them and they're going to fight and they're going to do all these things, right? And that's what people, that's what employees want, right? They want yeah. that person that's going to come to the line with them, not, you know, something go wrong and say, well, they did it. I made this decision, you know, being accountable to that decision and walking through it and then finding a way to correct it, right? The hardest thing is telling somebody when you're wrong and finding a way to fix the issue, right? So I think people really need both of those 
attributes, right? And and sometimes it's more than the other, but together they need to be able to, you know, have that seriousness, but also have that vulnerability. I couldn't say it any better than you did. I think uh, that was a great, great advice for leaders. And I think uh, hopefully some inspiration and some great ideas to start growing, uh, you know, more inspired workforce, higher performing workforce, and ultimately like a better culture for your employees just to, to work in and to live in. So Sarah, we super thankful for you taking yeah. your time out of your day today to join us. Pleasure to uh, finally get to speak to you and really thank you for all your time. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. This was a blast. I appreciate you guys letting me be on. Awesome. You lit a fire under me. I've got passion now too. So hey, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That's it. Another episode is done and in the books. We hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a review on what you thought. We hope you come back and enjoy future episodes. Before we go, uh, we need to give another shout out to our sponsor and presenter, Maxwell. Maxwell is the leading digital mortgage and technology-enabled solutions platform for small to mid-sized lenders across the country. Today, Maxwell powers over 250 community lenders across the country to provide internal efficiencies, attract to keep the best of talent, and ultimately provide a better technology-forward borrower experience. Today on Maxwell, lenders are shaving over 10 days off of the time to close and helping LOs close 20 plus percent more loans every single month. So if you're looking for a partner to empower your business through a better digital experience, outsource processing and underwriting and closing, or looking for a new QC and diligence provider, visit us at www.highmaxwell.com or email us at meetmax at highmaxwell.com. Until then, happy lending.